welcome to Risk Roundup. It seems that the existing wireless networks were never designed with the security features, individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, desire today or will in the coming tomorrow. Over the years, the market demand for the change in wireless networks has come at a neck-breaking pace as the Internet of Things, smartphones, tablets, laptops, and other form of computers have rapidly become a way of being and a way of life. It is because of this market demand and the widening gap between the current and the desired state of the wireless networks that the mobile industry is undergoing a major technology transformation. Now, along with this transformation, there are also evolutionary changes happening in the cloud and the web as more devices, more data, more applications, and new service delivery models are forcing the industry to innovate further. As a result, from smart city sensors to smart homes, smart autos, smart healthcare, smart enterprises, and more, there is a need for fast and ubiquitous network access that connects cyberspace, geospace, and space, in short, referred to as CGS. Now, in the coming years, wireless networks will need to handle mobile computing and communication needs of not only individuals and entities across NGIOA, but also billions of Internet of Things, Internet of Everything, and Internet of Nano Things, devices and machines across CGS. The need for evolution from 4G to 5G is not simply about having a faster mobile network or better functions in smartphones. While many aspects of 5G are still uncertain and unknown, it is becoming clear that since 5G will not be confined to individual customers as with 2G, 3G, and 4G, each entity across NGIOA individually and collectively will be impacted. The rise of smart nations, smart governments, industries, and enterprises, new architecture and new technologies through 5G will present significant opportunities as well as challenges. Now, as the digital global age draws near, along with the volume of data traffic and variety of innovative services, the opportunities and challenges for next generation 5G technologies will likely increase to unseen before levels. As we navigate our way towards supporting a 5G-connected CGS world, the complex security is becoming a cause of great concern. It is important to understand and acknowledge that the current silo network-based security approach used today to secure the path between communicating individuals and entities may not be efficient and sufficient enough to build security for the 5G CGS ecosystem. The time is now to take the security of 5G infrastructure seriously into consideration. The time is now to talk about 5G security risk. To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Scott Schauber to Risk Roundup. Scott is the president and CEO of Berkeley Veritronic Systems and author of Hacked Again. Welcome, Scott. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Great. Thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Wonderful, Scott. Now, the ongoing expanding bandwidth of 4G already provides an enormous attack surface for cybercriminals. The data drip through a 2G and 3G wireless network becomes a downpour of data with 4G networks. Now, in the absence of effective security risk management measures, criminal activities in cyberspace are expected to consume much of the expanding 4G bandwidth. 
what is the state of 4G network security and service from your assessment? Well, well certainly, uh, and maybe just to, to give a little background first, um, we, we've been developing my company, Berkeley Varitronic Systems, uh, out of Metuchen, New Jersey, wireless test tools. About the late uh, 1980s, we've been developing tools, test transmitters, receivers, and propagation analysis study to build out the cellular networks. And that was back in the first generation, then certainly second generation, third generation, and to, to now the fourth generation. And of course, we're looking forward to the next fifth generation build out where there will be a lot of changes and uh, certainly much, much faster speeds, much faster throughput, and, and then bringing in the world of Internet of Things, as you mentioned there, as we'll probably discuss a little bit more later. But when we look at um, the changes over time, the, the security landscape greatly changes because with much more volumes of data flying, high-speed video, and then the interconnection of things, our company sees a big change with a lot more focus, not just to building out these networks to make sure that the signals propagate and you have good throughput and coverage, but also that they're secure. And that's a big challenge because things are still unfolding. You've got several different bodies developing the standards. So to bring this all in so it's cohesive can be challenging, needless to say. Um, so we're analyzing this very closely and seeing which direction that the market is certainly going with. But with the current status with, with 4G, there are certainly vulnerabilities and there's certainly risks right now where, where, where hackers are exploiting. Um, and I, a couple examples pop into my mind right away. Uh, one is uh, just thinking about even yesterday, my wife bought a new car. And one of the first things that they did was they loaded an app onto her phone. And as I started to analyze the process, I said, well, hold on a second. I said, is there telematics in the vehicle? Is there connectivity? I'm assuming there is. And they kind of looked at me like I was crazy. They're saying, well, we don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, what, what is actually going on underneath the hood? Do you realize it? And he said, no, we don't know. But we have this ability now where we could see how many miles is, are on your car. When you need an oil change, we can send you an automatic alert via email or text and say, hey, send your car in for service. Your brake pads are getting low. So all these different things that we think about are now being done over the 4G network. My question, of course, was then, well, what level of security is it? They created a password, which they knew, <laughs> provided that for my wife to actually access it. So if that password is written down, it's on their system, my question is naturally, is it encrypted? Can we change the password? And these are little simple questions, but now imagine that information gets into the hands of somebody that is up to no good, perhaps a hacker. We, we've heard about some of the uh, initial hacks and it's more lab-based and controlled environments with the the jeep for example but there's a good example of 4g technology that's implemented telematics into an automobile that could be modified and altered which has concern i think for a lot of people some of the tests were done through the physical port the obd2 port in the vehicle underneath the the driver's a steering wheel and there you can connect a laptop in and you could monkey with the code and find ways to get around some of the things. But some of the tests that they did and, and experiments were really done wirelessly through the 4G network where there was some modification to some of the command structure inside the vehicle to make it do a quick turn or apply the brakes. 
So those type of things come into my mind naturally when I think about the security implications in 4G where we are. Now, now doctor, take it to the next level. Think about 5G. I think that's where it starts to get interesting because now you're connecting to more sensors. The more sensors, the more data. And, it's, and we always associate it, I guess, to a human always at the other end. Maybe if I'm talking to somebody, it's my mobile phone, but it's not always the case, right? As we know, some of these things are, are inanimate objects. It could be our refrigerator. It could be our alarm system, our HVAC system. All of these things interconnected have natural security vulnerabilities that come into play that probably all of us haven't thought out. And I think the embedded nature of IoT in general, where it, where it derives from, it wasn't uh, security thought out from day one. And that sometimes is a challenge. It really has to be designed from concept to finished product. Very hard to do, I think, when it's a low-cost device. Some of these IoT devices now are extremely attractive in price and give you a lot of rich data, sensor data, that we get. So I think there has to be a balance there as we evolve from the 4G into the 5G that we look closer at some of the uh, security implications. And of course, there are levels typically, there's some encryption on some of them. Is it end-to-end -end encryption? And that kind of takes us into a different subject I don't want to dive into, but maybe thinking about some of our phones and what's happened with privacy versus security recently. Yes, yes. No, that, thank you for the background and you know, great information. Now, from your assessment, what do you think uh, is the real technological reason that allows this vulnerability that has uh, you know transferred from 3G to 4G and probably will go towards 5G also? What are the technical gaps that has been there in building this uh, network that is allowing this security vulnerability? Well, I think a lot of it in the past, if we analyzed it closely, what were we when we're in a, uh, uh, initially analog signals we're familiar with, uh, cellular, right? In the old days, when we're thinking the first generation, second generation, we're, we're familiar with that. We built a lot of uh, cellular interceptors where there was a lot of problems with drug dealers, for example. You'd have to listen in on the mobile communications and we would actually listen to both sides of the conversation and we would actually hop from cell tower to cell tower as there was a handoff. That was a lot simpler to do back then. As we got into third generation, fourth generation, more complex modulation techniques came into play. In 3G, we had CDMA. In the 90s, huge build out. You look at uh, uh, Verizon in particular and some of the other carriers, they, they allowed them to really spread with spread spectrum a lot more call volume and a single frequency on a tower. So now your density and your customer base could grow proportionally. And you, we saw that certainly happen. As you went to 4G, what did we see? The natural convergence to 4G, everything suddenly became IP-based. Why? Because we're all tied into the internet. To me, that was a turning point from security because when you bring everything into the, the world of the internet, it changes the game. Why? Because I can, take, I can take my smartphone and I could be on a beach on the other side of the world and now I can control things. I can have access to things and I can get this rich data then you add this additional component, as we talked about, IoT. Now the security implications change. And I think we're going to see a shift yet further as we get into 5G, because now we're taking even more sensors and data and the next level equipment and controls. Because what, what do we typically see 
that controls industry, maybe critical infrastructure, let's say for a moment, maybe it's electric plants or, 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 or uh, refineries or whatever the case may be, they're tri typically using uh, SCADA communications, which yeah. is you know, secure communication so they could turn a valve on or do a remote type of access to monitoring of temperatures and all these different things, which is critical to keep the water flowing, the electricity flowing, all of these different things. Now, what's so attractive? Now, you've got 5G technology that allows you to control, maybe a machine controlling a sensor remotely without the human intervention, perhaps. It's exciting. It's efficient. But there are also those security implications. What if a hacker wants to now get in there and mimic and pretend he's the machine controlling the sensor? Maybe it's something such as a, you know, a centrifuge for a, a nuclear reactor. That could be catastrophic if, the, if it got into the wrong hands, like a Stuxnet type of disaster happening. So that's where I see the things changing there as we get from 4G to 5G. All the unknowns will start to come out where it could be machine controlling another machine or machine controlling sensors for good purposes or unfortunately could be for bad purposes. Yes, yes, no, very true. Now the Internet of Things includes not only devices such as desktops or smartphones, but also semi-automated and fully automated devices that control physical outcomes like traffic lights and, you know, electric grids and, uh, you know, water utilities. Now this fixed function, machine-to-machine -machine networking devices, uh, its use is limited but dedicated networks that are at times not connected to public networks. As security was and still is an afterthought in machine-to-machine, -machine, it seems any cyber attacker can destabilize controllers from anywhere, you know, from any part of the world. How common is this threat and what is the impact we are looking at because of these, you know, security gaps and vulnerabilities? Yeah, that, that's a great question. It's actually getting very popular. Why? And it's all, it's cost driven, like anything else. As networks, and we deal a lot with this, we, we developed a, a tool, I could pop it up here just so you can see it even just as a talking point. We, we developed a little simple tool. This is used for an M2M installation. And what does that mean? You have a traditional cellular modem that you could put into something, as you mentioned. Maybe it's a traffic light. And what it allows you to do is remotely then, maybe the computer down at the municipality can control that traffic light. At a certain time, they want to change the pattern of the traffic lights. So that's basically using the cellular WAN. Traditionally, it's going to be 3G or 4G networks where it's going to actually transmit a signal. It could be CDMA if it's 3G. More likely, everybody's migrating to 4G LTE because it can, at a very low cost, they could send the data across to that sensor in the traffic light to the cellular modem and say, adjust and change the traffic light pattern. And that's a very powerful thing. And as that uh, cost comes down, M to M will become much more prevalent, just like we hear about IoT, trillions of dollars and connections that there'll be billions and billions of connections with IoT. The same thing is kind of happening right now with M to M. It's just using our traditional cellular network that's already out there. So with a tool like this, and you probably can't see it on the screen exactly, but we can scan and then we can look and see which carrier has the strongest signal strength at a given spot. So if you're installing a system of M2M and you want to test it out, make sure it's secure, 
make sure that you have good coverage, that the antennas are placed in the right spot. You could use a simple tool like this M2M installation tool. Um, it, it has to be thought out though carefully because as you pointed out, there's not necessarily humans in the mix. And, and once the human comes out of it, how do you monitor this? How do you check this carefully to make sure somebody doesn't plant malicious code in there to, you know, at midnight suddenly the traffic lights stop working? <laughs> It could mean people's lives and it could be accidents. Um, there's a lot of other cases of that too when you think about driverless cars. Driverless cars are connected again into this framework of M2M and IoT over the internet and over the wireless connectivity, 4G going into 5G. So Uber's talking about the next uh, generation of cars being driverless. At first it sounds exciting. The second part of it can be a little scary. Imagine uh, your car is driving down the road, and again, somebody hacks into the, the 5G wireless communication and plants some malware that could hack. And imagine somebody very important or somebody not so important is driving down in an Uber car, and it goes off the road and kills them. Huge, huge implications. So that, that security there needs to be 100% encrypted end-to-end -end throughout so nobody can get in there and hack. It's not just about creating a long, strong password to have access to that, that uh, obviously that's important. Is it easy to hack into? No, not necessarily, because then you've got modulation techniques that are difficult, but it can be done. If we look at some of the recent controversy, uh, there's a lot of IMSI catchers we're familiar with, and, and the term Stingray, these, these black boxes, if you envision, that have been designed, and what they simply do is they act as a man in the middle attack. So you can have this black box, it could be in a vehicle, it can be in an airplane where they usually call it a dirt box flying overhead. And now your traditional cell phone is talking and transmitting to this device thinking it's a base station. So this man in the middle attack is fooling the cell phone. And it's not just your cell phone. It's all the cell phones in the area. So it's hundreds of them or perhaps more that the traffic is going through this black box. They demodulate it. They pull the packets and the information. And now what do they have? They have access to not just phone number, content. Yes. So that, that's a big concern there because if, if that's out there and then they could be collecting this data, it invades obviously privacy and security unless it's done through lawful means such as a judge's order, court or order. Sure, sure. Now, now like you said, Scott, this Internet of uh, Things answers. We would like to have the end-to-end, -end, you know, security and encryption. But they, I mean, all of them have, some of them, or most of them have such a small size. They are disposable and they don't have enough capabilities where you can have the firewalls or you can have uh, enough CPU to encrypt, you know, and to have uh, those kind of security features and capabilities in those Internet of Things devices. And even in most cases, even modern machine-to-machine -machine systems and devices are not intended to operate within the, you know, open internet or, you know, these connected computers. So it seems as if 4G is not designed to operate on World Wide Web as internet seems to be a very hostile environment for it to operate. And talking about, you know, going to the next level of 5G, it will have tremendous amount of speed, you know, compared to 4G. The security, you know, challenge seems to be very complex. 
so how how can we address that when there are so many gaps and you know imbalances you know if you look at the sensors internet of things sensors as well as the connected computers and different level of uh, dif there are some nations where there is still 2g use there are some where 3g is used some are still you know in the process of implementing 4g and we are talking about 5g where you know some nations have already started testing it out so we are having a lot of you know serious imbalances if you look at it yeah, yeah, and you make a brilliant point there when you think about it. IoT devices do not have the, the amount of money behind them to properly put security in its place. That That's fundamental, and I think that, that scares researchers, security experts, uh, wireless experts, everybody across the spectrum, including myself and probably yourself and maybe many of our listeners. If there's not enough money in there, where, where's it going to come from? And it, you can't easily, and this is a point I always like to bring out, when you think about any IoT device, doesn't matter what it is, most of them, since they're designed with low cost in mind, feature-rich sensors with a lot of data, regardless of how they communicate, Zigbee, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, 4G, 5G, m doesn't matter. When you analyze all of that picture, how could they have it secure? They really can't. And that, that's just a huge concern. When you put all of that in there, it, it, it almost it, it's almost a recipe for disaster. That's the way I look at it. As we go from, you mentioned there, some countries are still using 2G. Some are migrating to 3G. We hear a lot of that with customers, maybe some of the larger customers doing massive um, alarm build out. Often alarms in our, in our homes throughout the United States here when you buy a new alarm, it's not wired anymore. Now it's a wireless alert. So when your alarm goes off, if it's a 2G alarm, more than likely they're upgrading it to 3G, or if it's an older one, they may even say, let's us just upgrade it to 4G. And they'll reinstall a new cellular modem in your alarm box. The problem is, again, that's something that can be hacked. It's something that's wireless. It's secure to a level, but a good hacker could hack through that. And that's where the concern comes in. What's going to happen as it goes to the next generation 5G? Well, again, the data rate is so much higher. And if hackers want to flood the pipe, as they say, like, like we get a, a traditional thing, like we've been targeted with DDoS attacks, where they flood the website, same thing can happen in a 5G network. You've got data rates that are a thousand times faster than current 4G data. That's almost astonishing when we think about it. But it's needed when you have a huge payload that's very feature-rich, such as movies and, and content that people are consuming and demanding from their mobile devices, from their television sets. We could see how there, there needs to be a change to handle all of this speed and capacity. The problem is security doesn't go along with that proportional to the demands. And I think the industry gets a little bit ahead of itself when people start selling the new term is 5G. Well, as we start heading toward that, they got to think about security first, then build out the network properly and the subsequent IoT devices so they have security built in, just like you said. It's unlikely that it's going to happen. And, and, and one key point that this is really what scares me is you're race to market and you've got billions of devices that are IoT connected. 
and you find out there's a vulnerability in it, what do you do? You do a massive recall and now suddenly say, okay, this refrigerator that's got IoT built in and you've got millions of users connected into the internet with their smart refrigerator, do you do a recall on that? Do you send a technician out to upgrade that? It's not that easy. They didn't build in the ability for firmware to be uploaded and updated with security patches to fix vulnerabilities because they didn't know there are any. Now they have to look at that in hindsight and they're probably backing up the industry and saying we got to slow down a little bit and make sure we have capability in there so we can future-proof it as we migrate to future generations that we can carefully update it and get the security in there. Yes, there are more questions than we have answers at this yeah. point. Now, well most yes, most mobile devices on the network that are operated by humans, like smartphones, tablets, and laptops, they are prepaid or pay as you go. In so many nations, you will see the cell phones that they use. It's just you know prepaid. They don't have the month-to-month, -month, you know, like we have here in United States. Now, many prepaid devices don't require personal or account identification, so. They further, they further the anonymity of criminals. It's very easy for them to, you know, hide behind all that, uh, you know, regulations or, you know, requirements or rather lack of requirements and be able to, you know, target anyone in any part of the world. Now, while these factors could change over time, for now it seems that there is a need to build the security necessary to counter the threats into the IP core and the wireless networks and not the devices. Are there any initiatives to build the security in the network? That's another very interesting point because a huge area that we deal with all the time are these prepaid mobile phones. Who uses them? Often hackers, criminals, uh, prisoners. It's a huge area. Contraband cell phones that are coming into prisons. And that's a growing problem because think about what you can do with a cell phone if you get into a prison or an unauthorized area or if you just want to be a hacker and you want to cause mischief and do it all through your mobile platform, be it a cell phone or a tablet. When it's prepaid, you go into your 7-Eleven, you pay cash. And what does that afford you instantly? That affords you the ability to be anonymous. And what do hackers traditionally do when they're causing havoc on the web, hacking into a network system or network computers? They want to remain anonymous. How do they do this? Typically, they're using Tor browser, the Tor network, which will basically bounce around IP traffic. So one minute it looks like I'm here in the United States, the next minute it looks like I'm in China, then I'm in Turkey, wherever it is. It allows them true anonymity. The other thing is they will buy and sell down in the dark web. In the dark web, it's unlike the surface web that you or I may be in or that we're in now with Google Hangouts or do, doing a quick search on Google where we could do a quick query. There, it's unindexed down in the dark web. So they can move websites around. You can't search and find them or track them quickly. And in addition, how do they pay for everything? It's obviously with Bitcoin, anonymous digital currency. So that's the, the cyber world staying anonymous. Now you enter in, a beautiful point as you mentioned there, mobile phones and tablets that are prepaid that again give you some anonymity. That is a powerful combination if you want to cause havoc 
to a traditional, not just 4G, but the future 5G network where you've got these internet of thing devices and sensors everywhere, you can operate your criminal empire without getting caught. And that makes the entire challenge 100 times harder for law enforcement to not just detect, but to locate and find where people are conducting this business. The, the other aspect is, if we think about mobility, be it again, a tablet, a phone, whatever, you can move, it's mobile. That makes it even more difficult. We're, we're normally FBI and law enforcement is chasing criminals. They have a powerful computer, it's in their basement, it's a fixed location. With time and enough energy, they can hopefully triangulate, locate based upon different algorithms where that traffic is coming from, even if they are, again, using the tour and they're trying to hide in the dark web to conduct their criminal enterprise. But now, when you add that level of mobility in, it makes it much, much harder. And you migrate to a 5G network where now you can handle 1,000 times that speed, the data, and that payload. You could basically be on a beach in Barbados and conduct your criminal empire sitting back because you could do it all from your mobile phone or your tablet. That scares me to death. So how do you monitor, how do you detect and monitor criminals that are using mobile devices and, and conducting their hacking through that? Really what's needed is more advanced tools. It's not just software tools anymore. Obviously we're all familiar with virus scanners and malware and even some of the more threat detection devices now can be done through fast software. Where the future has to go and it has to be now is real-time threat detection with hardware. High-speed FPGA, multi-core DSP, where they're scanning hardware, they're taking that information in the pipe and out the pipe, and they're clearing it fast enough so it doesn't slow the throughput down. What happens when you go from your traditional 3G, 4G wireless communications to a thousand times faster to 5G, guess what? You got to get that hardware speed up there. So they really have to start focusing their efforts on spending significant R&D money and developing real-time threat detection tools that are rocket fast. So they can detect threats and they look for little anomalies or patterns or if a hacker is trying to um, jam up the network, for example, which is very easy to do by just sending out junk packets similar to a DDoS attack, a denial of service. Um, they can look at that. That's a traditional pattern that could be seen in a hardware engine, and it could stop it there before it even gets your firewall into your computer network or your mobile device. So these things are really critical, and it has to come not just from the carrier side, but it has to come from the cybersecurity community working together and then, of course, bringing in law enforcement so they can really detect and locate and stop these threats real time. Yes, yes. And I, I agree with you on that. Now, as digital global age advances at a rapid pace, and as we have been talking, that Internet of Things and smart cars and smart homes and smart cities and smart enterprises, smart grids, all these, you know, including also smart transportation, if you look at all of these, they all demand rapid global network access to gain a desired momentum that they have been looking for. Now in 5G ecosystem, security is a necessary enabler for continuity of the initiative and or business or any uh, venture that, you know, any of this uh, uh, activity is, you know, meant for. 
now the imminent rise of smart nation or its you know government industries organizations and academia in 5g will present you know new opportunities as well as new challenges to security and privacy as we have been talking now my concern is we are still struggling with managing 4g security risk 5g is expected to be much more complex what efforts are made to understand and manage the emerging 5g security risk when why are we why is there a growing concern that 5g security is going to be very complex and are the operators or you know the of the network you know they are planning to uh, develop any products that would have inbuilt security into the network or into the you know uh, any any of these devices that are going to be used are there any efforts or initiatives going on in that direction well, well there certainly there are some initiatives we don't want to say it's, it's completely hopeless i think a little bit of it it's a moving target unfortunately and it seems to be driven more the the migration to 5g as usual sales and marketing tends to push 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 so everybody's racing to market to be the first to say, well, what do we hear when we turn the TV on? We've got the fastest, strongest, best coverage for the 4G network. And how come all four carriers in the U.S. all happen to say that just about the same thing? It's ridiculous, right? In certain geographic spots, they certainly may have better coverage than their competitor. That being said, the same thing I start to see is happening toward 5G. They're pushing it too fast trying to embed the technology into IoT, and as you mentioned, smart homes, smart cities, smart cars, smart everything. They may be smart, but are they stupid security? And, and I think that's part of the problem. Somebody's got to put the brakes on, and, and does, it, does it require uh, a federal mandate that it has to meet a certain uh, a scrutiny, that, that it's got to be vetted to prove that, hey, yes, check off, this has been proven that it's secure to a certain reasonable degree? that would probably help if it was a third party independent body that was put in place that would again have to vet any iot devices that are maybe 5g compatible that it has to make sure it meets a certain security checklist so it has true end-to-end -end encryption built in what's it going to do it's going to rise the cost up certainly who's going to pay for it we as consumers that are using these smart devices but it will give us a smarter, safer planet, really, in general. So I think there has to be some balance brought in there. I, I think that the drive to push the price down of IoT is far exceeding the importance of connectivity and, more importantly, security. So if we refocus the conversation, as I think you, you, you certainly are doing there, on keep in mind, guys, this has got to be secure. We're going to be much happier because the cost to go back and fix it later is going to be catastrophic. We, we've seen how many breaches have there been, and if you really analyze the list of major breaches, what always comes to our mind? Target, Home Depot, Michaels, P.F. Chang, more recently Eddie Bauer. Most of those are credit card breaches, um, weak passwords, uh, third-party remote access to systems where, again, security wasn't in place. When we look at most of those, the vast majority of those things could have been prevented. You, you take the other side of the coin, you look at JP Morgan, one of the most secure banks in the world, where they spend record $250 million on cybersecurity and security prevention, where they've doubled that to half a billion dollars that they're spending. They had 
compromise, a massive proportion where customers' information was compromised. And you ask yourself, how is that even possible? Or you look at the OPM breach, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So I think instead of racing to market, we got to focus on the security. Get it right up front. And there are a lot of companies that are developing tools and concepts to keep, to think, to keep things secure. One, one I'm working with is a thing blocks. And what they're doing is really bringing security into the device and getting true encryption in there so you have a secure IoT device. And there are many other companies developing things like that. It's hard to get the public to buy into it. But what does it do is, is, as you mentioned, the cost factor. It's going to drive the costs up a little bit. And that's a natural thing. If you want security, you got to pay for it. I, I always bring out the analogy of if you have anything precious, maybe it's your car, maybe it's your home. If you ever had a break-in, what's, what's different after you're compromised or broken into? Boom, right away. New locks, alarm, camera, alarm stickers, dog, the list goes on. And suddenly you've got a fortress. And they'll never break in again because they're going to go to the neighbor that doesn't have that built up. But it's after the fact we're responding. we got to be proactive and integrate security, bacon security into IoT, into 5G wireless communications from the start before we start putting it out there around the globe and interconnecting everybody. Otherwise, it will be catastrophic. Absolutely, absolutely. And people need to understand that the cost of managing risk is much lower than the cost of managing crisis. Yes, and uh, people are waiting till the crisis happens. So anyway, the primary goal of traditional mobile communication networks has been to enrich human life through communication. And it has been, uh, if you look at 4G, it has been through text messages voice calls, video calls, or, you know, internet surfing or application games and uh, so on on through smartphones. Now, 5G, 5G is no longer confined to individual human customers as, you know, 4G has been or 3G has been. And it is no longer about having a faster mobile network or other, you know, some cool functions in smartphones. 5G is expected to serve vertical industries too, where security demands could vary significantly among the different services. So if you have to describe 5G, that the vision that is taking shape uh, currently, and there are a lot of you know players involved in this, what is that vision that you would describe that 5G is all really about? Well, I think it, it's, as you mentioned there, 5G is taking it to the next level where it, it's not thought of as much just consumer devices, mobile phone talking to another mobile phone. It's when it brings your entire life connected into your smart device, your smart home. The part that I get very nervous about is when it hits these other verticals, as you mentioned, because there, security is very, very important. Not that it's not important in our lives, it is. But the cost to secure a mobile-to-mobile, end-to-end communication is one thing. But now when you're having transactions, and, and maybe it's a, a smart device with near-field communication, and it's using the conduit of, of 5G wireless to send those secure tokens back to the bank. Well, now you've got thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of secure tokens going back and forth. What if that's hacked or, or broken into? That, that could be devastating cost that affects hundreds of thousands of consumers and millions of dollars. Those type of things, it certainly can affect in the financial institution. 
But when anytime you get into other things such as critical infrastructure, that's one of my biggest fears, the electric grid, old legacy systems where they're trying to now skip a couple generations. Maybe they're 2G going to 3G. Instead, they're jumping into 5G in two, three years. And security is not baked in. And now suddenly you're controlling the water supply for entire towns or waste treatment or the electric grid or nuclear facility, all these different areas where humans are dependent upon sound working uh, infrastructure. If that's not there in place, we're in trouble. You can save money by um, automating it and controlling sensors and appreciating efficiencies through certainly 5G and these M2M connections there through cellular modems as we talked about. That's exciting. If there were no criminal element and hackers to come into play and it was only left upon maybe human weaknesses or failures here and there, it'd be pretty safe. But when you have hackers that are targeting those vulnerabilities and looking to exploit on such a, a wide uh, open platform like that, they can hone in on wherever those vulnerabilities are and it could cause far more catastrophic damage because everything is so interconnected. Yes, I, I was yes. related to nowadays, maybe we're tied to our computer before we used, you know, we wrote letters, maybe we did more faxes. Now everything is tied into our computer. Do you ever have a day where your computer won't start? Yes. You go to work and you almost sit there and say, well, what do I do today? If that's your job on a computer, the same thing could happen if it affects critical infrastructure. And then all of those other verticals that you mentioned, if it starts to affect those, targeted hacks where they're tied in, IoT, 5G, oh, it could be game over then, catastrophic. So I think we got to put the, put the brakes on, slow down, focus on security before we try to focus on mass adoption. Yes, yes, absolutely. And like you said, it's, everything is getting interconnected. Now, as the 5G era is drawing near, it's not simply about being a medium for communication. Yes. It is also as a catalyst for blurring the boundary between cyberspace, geospace, and space. Uh, the connected computers and computer code and internet is connecting everything that we have in geospace with the cyberspace and to the space also. So everything is connected. So 5G security design will need to be an all-encompassing CTS approach, one that provides security protection for everything across NGIOA integrated because everything is integrated even if we look at a single nation that it's government, industries, organizations, academia and individuals, they all are interconnected, inter integrated, interconnected and they have interdependent, interconnected risk and same for you know CGS world. So when we look talk about security design for 5G, it will have to address the integrated NGIOA approach and also the integrated CGS world because everything is interconnected. Is there an acknowledgement from your you know, observation, observation and assessment that people are recognizing and acknowledging that this needs to be a very different approach? The silo risk management approach that we have taken so far that, okay, I will just protect my computer and I'm going to be, you know, not worry about anything else. If I can protect my computer or my smartphone that I am protected, I think that is an illusion now that if we just protect our devices that we are secure, that no longer is true. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I, I think it's almost delusional if people think that going into the next generation of wireless technology and interconnectivity, because whether we like it or not, we are opting in. We are connecting in. As the, the analogy I gave earlier, my wife, when she bought a new car, that car, it's built in telematics. It's monitoring where she is. It's monitoring what her car and her driving habits are. And, and if you buy a car, a new car, that's what you get. If you buy a, a new um, alarm system, again, those things come into play. A new HVA system, again, that comes into play. So we're kind of opting into this smart society where we're allowing all this big data to be used and to be wirelessly transmitted at high speeds through this 5G. So the, the, the approach of saying, well, I'll just keep a silo and protect my computer and smartphone, not realistic. With the exception, perhaps, uh, we deal with a lot of government agencies. These are secure DOD facilities. These are SCIFs where they're secure, compartmentalized information facilities where they house classified information, typically a large room or a large building where everything inside there is classified. In that case, they are not allowed to connect into an unsecured network to the actual internet. They're not allowed to bring a mobile phone or any wireless device into that secure space. There, they can, in a sense, create a silo that is secure. That, to me, is probably the only exception where they've done a, a pretty successful job of doing that because they perform regular security audits. They monitor for any wireless activity trying to possibly threaten it or come inside and then turn on. So th that's, that's probably the only good example of a controlled environment where you don't have the threat of the internet and wireless, but that requires constant vigilance. It requires that uh, one of the employees doesn't accidentally bring in a USB stick and plug it into a computer or accidentally plug in a hotspot with, without somebody noticing it, sneaking in through the front door. So that, that's probably a very unique case. But for, for us in general, citizens on the globe, we're opting into this insecure world of IoT that's got tremendous benefits and things that we will look forward to and are going to appreciate the efficiencies and conveniences versus the trade-off of lack of privacy and great lack of security that we're going to say. Yes, yes. Now, we, you, we have been talking about these uh, driverless cars, autonomous cars, uh, as an example of, you know, the benefits that we will be seeing and with the 5G networks uh, that are, you know, coming our way. But there is also another great benefit of remote surgery in healthcare. This is going to, you know, be very, very useful. The 5G networks, uh, be, the healthcare industry is looking forward to having that so that, uh, you know, remote surgeries are a reality and a possibility in very near future. Now, the data speed, as we have been talking, is going to increase, you know, tremendously with 5G. Now, that increases the speeds. There is a malware that also is going to uh, download it very quickly because of the, you know, nature of the speed of 5G. And uh, the computers that are hacked also, they can, you know, steal the data theft would be done at a very rapid pace but these are all the security risks that we have been you know thinking about now the question is that will we see more severe consequences of security breach due to the nature of technology 
and speed enabled by 5G because of you know the nature of the initiatives that are in the work like remote surgeries and if if there is a hack happening while the surgery is going on this has very serious uh, implications so who is going to be accountable who would be liable for these kind of you know uh, events happening uh, because of the lack of security in the 5G networks yeah that, and that's a very controversial one because there's great savings and efficiencies when we look at something as surgical procedures or medical procedures that can be achieved especially with the sharing of information efficiently between hospitals and doctors it's proven that it could save lives even in the monitoring equipment even something as um, such as your heart and we worked on a project a few years ago developing the rf link for an artificial heart so that radio frequency link part, the, the part that we developed, and we learned a ton of things about the medical community and their hesitation to quickly adopt a lot of this for natural reasons, liabilities and lawsuits and high risk involved. As the community starts to get comfortable and they appreciate the efficiencies, they're slowly adopting it more. But back then, a couple of years ago, the risk of security breaches were not as high. So now, as that's escalating, there's a little bit more hesitation for adopting technologies, especially when there's wireless connectivity, because there's a fear, well, what if we're trying to save somebody here, and we got some crazy hacker on the other side of the world trying to hack into this data stream here, and it's giving back a false reading. Okay? Now imagine this, it's a targeted attack, and it's somebody that's a very important that's sitting there in the hospital room. That could be extremely dangerous when their heart rate fluctuates or stops or changes and they respond and they could actually kill a person. So we have to carefully analyze the situation to make sure that it's, it's carefully monitored and secured before accepting and implementing it, especially in the medical community. It's, we're going to appreciate the efficiencies, the savings, and it will save lives by properly implementing. But there, I think you have to take... 10 times more concern and approach at getting it secure and testing it and validated. Again, does it have to be something in the medical community, a third party that needs to vet it and carefully check it and make sure it's properly encrypted end to end, that it's not something that some hacker could do cause havoc? Because we know nothing is 100% secure. If, if we do that, we would, we would never use our, our, our phone or, or do anything. So there's got to be a level of trust that we have there, but there's got to be that trade-off by properly testing it. And I, I think the best way is to independently always have somebody test it and go through A to Z and think of every possible scenario, attack it, and eventually you could hire a white hat ethical hacker in a long period of time and try every vulnerability that they can to weed out wherever there might be a weakness there. And that way they could patch the vulnerabilities, make it secure or as secure as they can be so there won't be any breaches or compromises. Yes. Now it's been reported that network level signaling is the same in 5G as in the latest versions of 4G and 3G based on the diameter signaling that has been reported. Now it is believed that the technology of the mobile network core will be comparable or probably be this 
same with 5G as has been seen in previous generation of wireless technologies in 4G, 3G. Why is there no change in the network core? I think, well, a couple of reasons. Unrealistic timeline to launch. I mean, they're already talking about, I think it's uh, 2020 uh, with one of the Olympic Games to have a 5G network out there and then 5G pilots being pushed out. So that rapid push to shift to 5G could be part of the problem. To get it, the technology there quicker requires R&D to speed it up, requires all the carriers, requires all the uh, mobile device makers to get on board to tool up, gear up to do this. It's kind of like car manufacturers. I always look at that analogy. Every year, they introduce a new model. How do they effectively do it? Oftentimes, they dress it up a little bit differently. It's the same core engine, perhaps. They'll tweak a few things, the same chassis. They'll change the body panels, the color, the lights, a few little things outside that they'll accessorize it. And then now they've got a new model. They could jack the price up and, and sell many cars because people always want the latest and greatest. I kind of see that same thing happening when I give this analogy to the 5G industry. They're reusing a lot of the network protocol, the IP stuff, the gateways and things. Some of that's being reused for 5G to get you there faster and it's going to save billions of dollars. The negative side is when you've got this much data and at these speeds and now you're going to this much, you've got to change the approach and you've got to add security into the equation because you can't monitor that much data on a 5G network with traditional security tools and monitoring in place. It just isn't going to work. It's going to cause a lot of problems. And unfortunately, we'll be reactive after the breach. Everything will be post-breach. We'll read an announcement six months later after it happened, and everyone will say, how did this happen? How do we fix it? How do we prevent it? Those will be conversations we'll be having in the next few years after these havocs happen. Yes, yes. Now, there is another big concern that individuals or consumers are generally not good at managing their own security risk as they don't normally have understanding about the risk that they are facing or they don't have the resources or they don't have the technical skills or under, uh, knowledge about it. Now many individuals download applications and simply accept all the permissions uh, that are required and it, the you know application request without really thinking about what they are you know accepting and agreeing to. It is also reported that most individuals freely give games access to their call history or contacts or you know whatever is being asked for thinking that someone and individuals and consumers are hoping or thinking that someone else is looking out for them someone else is looking out for their security now the with this 5g that uh, that is coming our way everything and even before that right now Everything is interconnected, interdependent. The nation, as we talked before, NGIO is connected, CGS is connected, cyberspace, geospace, space. Wouldn't it be wise to have the single, you know, approach to having the network secured and only the network operators they secure their, you know, initiatives or their, you know, fourth generation or fifth generation networks or Let's say, you know, if there's IoT manufacturer, if the sensors are developed, they manage their own security. For Same for smartphones, same for smart cities, same for smart enterprises. People who are developing products, enterprises who are developing products, they, if they are 
actually responsible for managing its security, it would be much, much easier to manage the security. Rather, right now, if you see if someone buys a laptop, it doesn't come with security. They have to buy their own you know, security softwares or licenses. Same for smartphones, they don't come with security. I'm sure that Internet of Things devices are not going to come with its own security. So why are we having this approach where we are increasing the possibility of having more security gaps? Why don't we have an approach by which it is much easier to manage, identify and uh, manage the securities that is coming our way? Well, I think you could sum it up in, I use the term cyber complacency. We've heard about so many hacks and breaches and compromises. Every time that I speak at a different events, I like to pose a question to the audience. And I'll typically ask, who here has been compromised? Who's had their computer hacked? Who, who suffered ransomware? Who suffered credit card breach? Who suffered a debit card compromise, identity theft? Whatever it is on the list. You pretty much get a sea of hands. Everybody raises their hands one way or another somebody's been compromised and they kind of do this. What can I do about it? No matter how much money I spend on virus and malware and my OS updates and put a passcode on this and strong passwords, so on and so on. They almost feel it's a little bit hopeless and they give up at some point. And usually that some point that they give up is that that's where their weakness or the vulnerability might be. And that's where the hackers exploit. So what, what it really is, it, it's a something you have to work at each and every day to stay secure. So if you're security minded, it, it's like the analogy of a successful marriage. For a husband and wife to have a successful marriage, typically they have to work at it each and every day. Same thing true. If you want to stay secure, you've got to work on it each and every day. And you got to stop and think a little bit like a bad guy and say, ooh, I better not write that password down. Uh, or, or I got to be careful. You brought up the point about um, permissions, and I'm glad you brought that up for apps that people download. Here's a scary stat. The average person's mobile devices that they have, a tablet and their mobile phone, if you looked at all the applications that they've downloaded and you actually read all of the permissions, do you know how long it would take you? Three months just to read all of those documents. Who's got time to read all this? So what do we all do? Scroll, 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 accept. We basically give them away the store. We let them read our contacts. We have access to private confidential information on our personal mobile device. Uh, it could be geolocation things. We look at a game like uh, Pokemon Go, augmented reality, where we are. They could see what we're doing. There's a wealth of metadata, data associated to us that could kind of build a digital footprint and people can understand our livelihood if they want to target us, if they want to rob us, if they want to abduct us, all these sick things that we have to deal with with people in the world. So don't be so quick to opt into everything and accept permissions. In many cases, and most people don't realize this, with, with a simple game like Pokemon Go, you could send them an email and not fully agree to all their terms and conditions and still play the game. But who's got time to do that, people say. Well, if again, if it's your security or privacy at stake versus taking five minutes to write them an email, I, I would opt for the email. So sometimes we have to be educated, and that's where, where the term cyber complacency comes in. But we kind of get like, well, I'm lazy, or I'm too busy, or it's too technical. Well, that's what hackers want you to think, and that's why they'll, they'll target certain individuals, especially those that might be 
complacent, naive. They'll target the elderly. They'll target the younger ones. And that's why we see so many constant attacks and breaches towards certain generations and certain gaps there where they're more likely to accept the permissions and then they'll be targeted and, and eventually compromised. Yes, yes, uh, that is true. Now, we, we all know that there is a need for standards. There is a need for standards in 4G. There is a need for standards in 5G that's coming our way. Now, it is essential that as 5G standards are refined and approved and the technology is developed further, that this is done with security in mind right from the beginning. Security first architecture and security policies, protocols and standards must be defined as the technology involves. Doing this now will make a massive difference to the security landscape that we are shaping, you know, across uh, NGIA in CGS in the coming years. What are your observations of what is the effort in this direction of establishing the global 5G security standards, let well, alone international? I was going to say, certainly, uh, first of all, there are things being done, there are companies, but what's probably important is you've got different uh, standard organizations, and many have done so many good things. You've got IEEE, you've got CTIA. I think if they, these groups that are putting out standards as 5G is being developed, if this consortium works closer together with the private com community, the corporations that are developing advanced security to battle this, real-time threats, if they work closer together and now that is converged, that information is shared perhaps through one larger body. Easy to say, I know. Most people are saying, yeah, that'll ever happen. But if you could get that consensus to work together and hammer out security, it'll take a longer time for 5G to get released, but it'll be released with a much more secure platform and foundation, making it much harder for hackers to attack. What are they going to do? They're going to attack other things. They're going to naturally going to look for Wi-Fi or other types of attacks. doesn't mean they go away. It just means that you could make a, a stronger 5G connectivity that's more secure. So it's bringing those parties together, delaying the release of it, I think would make a better solution, in my opinion. Yes. Now, considering that service providers are literally transforming their entire network architectures on the path to 5G, the rapid move into unfamiliar surroundings to remain competitive and profitable while migrating their networks to accommodate a potential tidal wave of you know, connected devices in all different kinds of formats is a very complex security challenge. Yes. What are the industry-wide projections for this? What are the protections for that, you said? Yes. Well, in, in not a whole lot. I guess that's the challenge because, again, you've got so many different things interconnecting and you've got different standards that come into play. I, just look at the case of IoT, and, and I think about that now. Imagine I'm a carrier, I'm a Verizon, I'm a Sprint, an AT&T, T-Mobile, whatever. What's my main concern? I want to have good connectivity for my customers because they're paying the bills. So they're very concerned about the link from any type of mobile phone or mobile device, computer, whatever it is that has the cellular connectivity. However, what comes into the equation? Our smart devices also have what? Bluetooth. They also have Wi-Fi. They also have near-field communication, soon to be 5G connectivity. So they can't control those other standards, which inherently are insecure. So what do you do? 
So how much money does a Verizon spend to work with a phone manufacturer when somebody's going to take a back door through open free Wi-Fi access at the Starbucks to initiate an attack that then will affect perhaps a Verizon customer on the Verizon network? It's a very complex equation. So again, that's where I think you have to try to bring as best you can carriers together, standard bodies together, and then somebody to oversee that and say, look, here's the minimal level of security that can be on a particular device as you migrate toward the 5G network. And the other thing that comes into play is you, you also have to realize most mobile devices are dual or tri-band phones. So what does that mean? If I'm, I'm, I'm in a particular area that doesn't have 4G coverage yet, it's going to throttle down to 3G coverage, maybe CDMA in America maybe GSM in Europe, whatever the case may be, or, or maybe in a certain area it's spotty or there's a lot of data usage. What are the carriers done? They've pushed it off to the Wi-Fi. So a lot of these companies that have built out Time Warner Cable and Optimum and others, huge Wi-Fi hotspots, they can handle a lot of that payload. Some of that, I believe, will change as we get into 5G because now you could handle much more data and much faster. So if they can con contain it more so it stays within the 5G and make it more secure, people will not be so dependent, and especially carriers, on offloading that data to Wi-Fi and other channels, make it a little bit more secure ultimately. Yes, yes. Now, the, today's 4G networks currently are designed primarily to accommodate and enhance mobile data services and not the Internet of Things. Now, the architectural sh shift to IP-based infrastructure has enhanced the delivery of high-speed applications like mobile video between users or you know various connected devices. So how will we optimize digital data, data ecosystem in the 5G networks? Well, I think that's going to be a little bit challenging, first of all, because again, you got the speed, you got the data. And how do you harness that? How do you control that and how do you secure it? It's going to be a different beast than doing it now on 4G because right now I believe most of it's split. And, and again, as I was mentioning, why? If I go to a restaurant and I'm watching a YouTube video with my kids, oftentimes what's my phone going to do? It's going to look for a Wi-Fi to do that. Now you're taking that, that, that power that you're, you're kind of pushing it all off to the, the Wi-Fi connection there that connects directly in the internet. Now I'm going to be handling it all wirelessly. 100% wirelessly with a 5G with an IoT connection or, or something else for video and content that's really dense and a lot of pixels, a lot, you know, really good sound and fidelity and things like that. So you got to refocus the security when you're doing that. How do you do that securely and not compromise speed and throughput? That's the challenge there that I think they really have to hammer out. And it doesn't happen overnight. That's part of the challenge. So that's why we've got some of these systems that are a little bit half-baked. In other words, as I mentioned, the, the analogy, you're driving along and you're on the fringe, 4G coverage is so-so, and they go back to 3G. Same will probably have to happen with 5G. You, you won't have build-out like this. Sometimes it takes several years to build out. And we see that all the time. Again, since about the mid to late 80s, we've been selling test tools to build out carrier networks. So if I look back when Sprint was doing a huge push on WiMAX years ago, we sold hundreds of test transmitters and receivers to get coast-to-coast build-out. It took 
hundreds of engineers, thousands and thousands of man hours to test and plot out the coverages so they can find where do they place the towers, the antennas, the angle, figuring all of that out takes several years. So 5G is gonna happen. It'll be in little pockets, typically targeted towards cities. So if you're in a metropolitan area, if you're in LA, if you're in New York, you're gonna say, wow, my new iPhone you know, 15 is amazing now because I can watch real-time video here, streaming live without any latency. It's gonna be incredible. But now when you go to Arkansas, it's not gonna work. It's gonna throttle down to 4G or whatever and it'll be yeah. spotty. That's gonna be a challenge there, jumping between the technologies at first and developing phones that can do both the current 4G and have the capability of 5G. Because in a sense, you're adding in another whole module to, to do that. What does it do? It drives cost up too. So there's that happy medium that phone manufacturers have. So if you look at it, at somebody like Apple or Samsung, two, two of the biggest phone manufacturers, they have to carefully think that out as well. You look at something like an iPhone, they're thinking security ahead of time, which is good for all of us. Why do I say that? If you look at an Android Samsung phone, for example, again, secure device overall, however, it's software encryption on it. If you look at an Apple device, you've got software and hardware encryption. They have a unique chip inside there that does all their encryption, so it's far more secure than using a traditional Samsung Android device. Plus, when we look at the apps we talked about before, not just the permissions, but where you download your apps. If you go on any uh, store to download an Android app, they don't have a vetting process. In other words, I can create an app, I can post it and sell it on a store, open source. Nobody's vetting it and carefully looking. You go to Apple, hard to release an app on there, they will take it through a, a vetting process to make sure it's secure so there's no malware preloaded on it where you'll have a compromise when you download it on the phone. That same approach needs to be taken as we analyze and look at the migration to the 5G um, standard, really. That same approach, yes. carefully vetting it throughout the process so stuff doesn't get out there where it could be a compromise. Yes, no, that is very true. The focus is all about functionality these yes. days and nobody is paying attention to security. Now, yeah. it is said that 4G occupies the frequency band of 20 megahertz. In the case of 5G, it will likely be about 6 gigahertz. What does this mean? And what is the impact of these you know, different uh, frequency bands and how would it work? What is the security implication of this? Well, I can't necessarily say it's going to be any more insecure. What, what the key is, is that they can carefully, and this is usually coordinated through, through the FCC, that the spectrum is allocated for them to use. And they do, they are careful and they'll put guard bands. Sometimes they squeeze it too much. In other words, if you have a frequency here in the adjacent channel, very close in spectrum, you have other communications. One may interfere with the other. This happens oftentimes, there were some cases with LTE and even GPS where it would interfere because they brought the spectrum too close because there's only so much limited spectrum that they could use within the world of radio frequency. They're trying to squeeze as much as they can be, so they can maximize customer and data and everything else. If they squeeze too much and it gets too close, there's no guard bands, there's no safety, there'll be some um, overlap and you can't easily filter that out. So they have to just be careful when they're allocating the 5G spectrum that it's enough distance and they're not gonna be interfering with anyone else. 
As far as hacking, you can hack into different wireless standards. The difference is there's not as many tools readily available. For example, if you look at the spectrum of um, Wi-Fi, it's license-free. It means you don't pay for use for transmitting or operating in that spectrum. It's 2.4 gigahertz. We're all familiar with it, um, and as well as 5 gigahertz. And it's a standard against what the IEEE put out and ratified, 802.11 ABG. AC and so on and so forth. And that's what our home wireless routers are using and hotspots and everything else. So you've got an agreed upon spectrum that is free for everyone to use. What does that mean? It means there's a lot more tools out there and there's a lot more hacking tools that are available to the community to find the weaknesses and exploit it. So in the beginning, as 5G and spectrum is allocated, there's not a lot of tools out there, actual hardware that hackers can use to infiltrate that but with time as it becomes a, a ratified standard and built out over time yes yeah, certainly they're going to target they'll build tools and and they will will certainly then more chance for it to be compromised yes yes hopefully let's hope so now if you have the power scott to change one thing in how 5g is being addressed currently how you know across nations these developments are happening is so competitively. What would that one thing that you would like to change? Well, I, I'm I'm a little bit more conservative of person. Love technology, but I'm a conservative person. I'm not the guy to run out and always buy the latest gadget. I wait a little bit because there's always a small percentage of the population that's first to market and buy it. We all want it. It's not a matter of whether we can afford it or not. I always ask myself, is it secure yet? Once it's out there they'll get the kinks out of it. And if you're that second generation that adopts it, you have a big advantage. I go back to my famous car analogy. You never want to buy the first model of a new car, right? It's got rattles, it's got kinks, it's got recalls. You wait a little bit, get the next model year, it's more secure, it's safer, less breakdown, less problems. It, it's just a known fact. The same thing true when they're releasing new technology and migrating from a fourth generation to a fifth generation. That migration period when somebody turns a switch and goes like this, it's going to be painful at first. There's going to be problems and drop calls and outages and the movie that downloads halfway and customers upset. So you got to ask yourself, do you want to be part of that equation? So myself, I like to sit back and let things play out a little bit till the kinks get out and then I jump in. So for me, even though I'm a technologist, I like to wait and see a little bit and observe, and then I'll dive in full steam ahead and enjoy the technology. Safer approach, I understand that. Now your book, The Hacked Again, would you like to share the details about your book, why you wrote that and how, what does it contain and how would it benefit our global viewers and listeners if they you know, should buy this book and uh, read that? And where, where where they can get the book. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. A um, number of years ago, uh, we started really developing more and more security tools and learning about the security implications. Most of it's offshoots from developing cellular technology to build out the cell towers. We got a good understanding of where there's vulnerabilities. So we started developing tools to help People hunt down cell phones and, and do other things, detect and locate them. As we started to do that, we got heavily involved in just the world of security in general. And I found myself 
providing people with tips, with education, with best practices, just to stay safer. The more and more that I did this, the more I got brought in to, to, to different outlets, be it uh, media on TV, on radio, forums such as this, different events presenting. What are some practical things people can do to keep themselves safe? Well, in the process of this, and it's, it's somewhat ironic when I look back in hindsight, the more you educate people how to stay safe, you suddenly create enemies. My enemies became the hackers. So now they got their sights on me and they said, we're gonna make your life miserable. So what they did was started targeting my company by uh, basically stealing information, debit card, compromised credit card, um, Twitter account hack, repeated DDoS attacks to our online web store so we couldn't have regular commerce. Uh, they went after our checking account and compromised $65,000. We became a federal investigation. So the list goes on and on. That's my company, as well as going after myself personally with similar things. So in this whole terrible process of being compromised, hacked, targeted, and hence became paranoid, I learned even more things. So it's my goal to now share these things. So I decided, let me document this in a book to share the mistakes that I've made in hopes that other people don't go down the same path that I've gone down and have to experience the pain and the process of having so many repeated targeted attacks after you. Unfortunately, they haven't stopped. We continually get DDoS attacks and, and other problems with our account. So I have to be ever vigilant to keep monitoring things, change passwords regularly, try to keep myself off the grid as much as I can, which is hard to do when you're running a company and you're, you're just a normal person. Um, but I try to share some of these tales through true life experience, what I've dealt with. And people that have read the book and have given me feedback have said they understand why it's so important to have a strong password, a unique password for each account. They understand why their credit card is compromised, why they should use a credit card over a debit card. So there's a lot of takeaways that I call are common sense things that sometimes we just take for granted. It doesn't mean we have to go out and spend a ton of money on security. We have to just kind of educate ourselves and use common sense so we can shore ourselves up and basically put layers of security in our lives without making us paranoid like I am so we can be happy and not be the next victim. Um, we've sold a ton of books, which is fabulous, and I'm presenting on the subject. In fact, I'm going to Barnes & Noble this weekend in North Brunswick, New Jersey, and doing a book signing and then doing a presentation following that as well to educate the community. And I do a lot of small business events as well as even hacking shows and security venues um, where, where I'll be presenting with the likes of, of Kevin Mitnick and other famous uh, cybersecurity people. So it's certainly an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. But the, the best part is just the feeling you get back when people say, wow, I learned something, I tried it, and I feel safer. Kind of empowers them, not, not allowing them to be cyber complacent, as I, I mentioned there. Uh, anybody can buy the book direct from us. I have a website. It's hackedagain.com. We throw in a free T-shirt if they want to buy the book from us, if they want to buy a hard copy. It is available, soft copy, hard copy, ebook, as well as Audible. And then also your common, you can go to Barnes & Noble bookstores. It's sold there, the soft and hard copy. It's available readily on Amazon as well, and Kindle and all the different, different formats there. But uh, really, really appreciate the, the opportunity and the chance to talk about it a little bit too and share some of these. 
No, great. Uh, thank you for sharing all that information and thank you for writing that book because that the whole purpose, like you said, education, that we want to educate as many people across nations as possible because that is the only way we'll be able to share the knowledge and the lessons that we have learned over, over the, our life and our experiences and you know help prevent some of the security risks that you know others could face and we can uh, collectively you know individually and collectively bring together the change that we need in securing this uh, cyberspace geospace and space and each and every entity across ngioa and uh, all the individuals so uh, that is the main reason scott that we started uh, we decided to launch risk roundup so that we can invite uh, executives and decision makers like you and discuss these very important topics across you know so many different industries the security risks that we are facing because everything like we discussed is interconnected and integrated and we all have to you know do our best in sharing that knowledge sharing our experiences so that we can make this world a better place so thank you so much scott for participating in this roundup and it was really nice uh, talking to you and uh, your input and what you had to say today is definitely going to help our global viewers and listeners tremendously thank you great, great. Th thank you and thank you i commend you for for all you're doing especially bringing these great topics to light so people can live a more secure life and, and move ahead. So thank you. Pleasure to be on. Thank you, Scott. Now, as the 5G standards are defined, refined, and ratified, and the technology is being developed across nations, it is vital that this is done with security as a prerequisite. Security must be an integral component of 5G design right from the outset, right from the beginning. And then at each subsequent stage of the process, security policies, protocols, and standards must be defined as the technology evolves. Doing this in the planning phase will make a massive difference to the security landscape in not only today or for one nation, but also in the coming tomorrow for all nations. By identifying, evaluating, understanding, and managing the security threats that come with the evolving bandwidth and internet-oriented technologies of 5G, individuals and entities across NGIOA in CGS need to take a very cautious step forward on their 5G journey. Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for this very reason so that we can collectively identify, evaluate, and manage the risk facing NGIOA in CGS and we can discuss debate and define necessary framework, structure, processes, tools, and technologies to manage the security risk of not only the digital global age, but also the coming technological super convergence. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to the management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos, or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupalacy.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.